Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. Yeah, we are excited to have Poto with us all the way from Korea today. So he has graciously gotten up at ridiculous o'clock in the morning to come hang out with us and and uh, talk about the, the the awesome stuff he's been doing. Um, so we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, just a few housekeeping things before that. Um, chat, welcome to the to the show. Um, hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, you can't hear Creston or Poto. Oh, no. Uh, all right. Give me just a second, chat. Uh, Creston, uh, give me a little bit of talk. All right. At a different location <laughs> because... Little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah, we're still trying so to straighten not, those I'm, out. I'm, I'm going to sound a little different if anyone can hear me. There, there we go. Are. All there right. Can you hear me too? Yeah, we got Poto. They should both be coming through the same channel. So oh, I think, yeah, because yeah. it's the same pipeline. Yeah. All right. Wow, we got a lot of lot of folks showing up. All right, got Poto now. All right, awesome. We're ready to rock and roll. Um, I guess I'll have to do some work on my mix board and figure out what I got screwed up here b between now and next time. Uh, figure any... out what you mixed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks guys for joining us. Um, I'm I'm really excited to talk to Poto about this stuff because this really intrigues me. So we're going to have a lot of fun in the meet of the show today. A um, couple of things up front. Uh, one... Next Tuesday, I won't be doing code with Chris because I've got some personal issues I have to take care of. And next Thursday, we won't be doing the show because we've got a scheduling conflict. Uh, so Tuesday and Thursday, we will be off. Um, so just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, Creston is having some tech difficulties, which is why he's not green screened. He's having to be in a little bit of a different setup. So uh, what's, what's the lowdown for coding with Creston tomorrow? So not, not going to be tomorrow, but next week when we're not doing stuff Tuesday, Thursday, I will be doing, the plan is for me, barring other unforeseen issues, I should be do, do, doing coding with Creston next Friday. So nothing tomorrow, but the next Friday. Okay. So the channel is basically off air until next Friday after, right. after here. After today's so, show, yeah. Just so everybody knows, everybody's got the info. And I will, of course, post reminders on uh, Discord and, and Twitch, Twitter, X, whatever the hell it is now. Um, who knows? I'm about to stop using that thing because it's just... Anyway, a different soapbox. All right, so before we get into the meat of the show, week in review. Creston, how was your week? Pretty good until some technical difficulties. <laughs> well, that's, you know. that's Those should be ironed out, but... Um, with regard to the spammers, because I know when we were talking before we went live and I mentioned last week about the spammers, well, the good news is, is that the protections that I built a couple of months ago stood firm and did well and pretty much, yes, they pummeled it for like tens of thousands of transactions, but like basically nothing got through. Cool. And they were 
basically stymied so much that they kind of gave up after a couple of days. So that that that's good news because I just want to dissuade them and go, have them go somewhere else. <laughs> just don't deal with my app. So that's good news with regard to that. Yep. Uh, the other one, so on the last coding with Creston, I actually had a number of, I got stuck really hard on a problem and couldn't figure it out during the stream. So of course I looked at it after the stream and it was actually a nested problem where something was masking something else that masked something else that was preventing me from finding what the problem is. Oh. And I'll, I'll kind of, yeah, so it's like I changed one thing and it's like, well, this should work. It's totally easy, but I had to stay, take a step back because it's the concept of the nesting in the UI mm -hmm. where a window builds a pane that can hold a button. There was actually problems with the windows that was causing problems with the pane not being updated and rendering and, and a few other things. So that kind of nesting and problems in it is, yeah, I basically figured it out, but it was kind of like, well, good Lord, no wonder I couldn't figure it out in the show. Anyway, but I'll have that, describe that in depth the next show, but th that's pretty much it for me. What about you? Um, So I, I didn't have a lot happening at work. I mean, a lot happening at work, but not a lot interesting happening at work. Uh, this week, but I did, you know, after Tuesday's coding with Chris, we we didn't get very far on the game, uh, because my initial plan was kind of kind of derailed when, you know, after about an hour and a half, we realized there's a better way to do what I was trying to do, and that was with the WFC. So while I'm off next week, uh, since I've got you know an extra week between shows i'm going to see if i can get the the wfc to a point where i can use that internally and pull it in uh and i have to do some more tile sets and stuff too um but i'm actually excited about that because you know that getting that wfc algorithm together was a pain in the butt so i'm now that it's working i'm excited to use it and and see what it can actually do um so we should describe that more, or is or do you go a lot of? Because I don't even know what that is. Wave function collapse. And I'm not saying not saying they have to do it now, but yeah, I mean, yeah. at some point. Well, basically, the the screen. simple the simple thing it, it's a uh, an algorithm. The best example I can think is it's the algorithm that can solve Sudoku puzzles. Okay. Um. So it's also really good at building. Uh, randomly generated maps from tile sets based on rules. Um, so that's that's the short answer of what it does. Yeah. Zed, a superposition solver. That's what it is. So, you know, it's it's a quantum mechanics type algorithm, but we're not doing quantum computing, but the same concept is is going on. And it uses superpositions of or supersets of the tiles to figure out what it can put where. Okay. Um, so kind of fun, but a bit of a bit of a bear to program. But anyway, that's that's kind of where my world is right now. Poto, how about you? I'm good. Uh, so other than breaking driven movie content, like I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, the 
the game you're developing, and I guess you've been working on this for quite a while, and it's it's gone through some iterations from what I was reading, um, and you've kind of made some some decisions about you know what kind of game it was going to be. And now you're at a point where you're doing something that I think is really interesting, and I'm not aware of a lot of games that that do this kind of thing. But you're you're having your NPCs and and the world around your player be persistent outside the view of your player. Um, That's correct. Yeah. So which which I think is really interesting. It seems to me like it would be extraordinarily complicated to to achieve, um, and I'm I'm kind of aware of a. This kind of reminds me of the concept that they were working towards in in a game called Rain World, um, where you know the world kept going even when you weren't looking at it. Um, so a couple of questions. One, what are you? What are you ultimately hoping to get to with this? How is this going to help the game? Why do you want this in the game? Uh, and two, what what parts of this really interest you? Um, so, before answering question one and question two, I have to note I have to note that the persistent world is the half of what I'm trying to achieve and this the let the latter half is the um language processing simulation. So not just um trying to achieve the persistent world where NPCs live their own life outside the player interaction. The another pillar of gaming that I'm trying to achieve is that to put it simply um, there is no pre-written dialogue, so NPCs, you can ultimately talk to NPCs freely and they answer you in freely according to the context and the environment of the world they are living in. That's what I'm trying to achieve. That, that is very cool. Anybody that knows me knows I'm all about the proc gen, so having, having natural procedural language involved seems really, really cool to me. Uh, as well. So, um, so yeah, what, what about you? I mean, what, what about this really interested you? Oh, that's a long story, but I'll try <laughs> to make it short. So I'm a long time RP, RPG enthusiast. Uh, I've been playing, going back to all the old school JRPGs and the, and some of the Western, Western classic RPGs and also including you know those dungeons and dragons table rpg where you roll the dice and there's gm and you know how you role play freely and so the thing is um when you play those computerized rpgs what what i've been really finding frustrating is that um like when the protagonist the player and you as a protagonist proceeds on to the next stage of the let's say the storyline or the quest line or whatever. And, you know, like mo most often times, I mean, almost always the protagonist, you're like some kind of like a world savior that the world is at some risk and you have to save the world and you're making changes as you progress. But the one thing that I really found frustrating about the RPGs in general is that when you do come back, 
nothing really seems to have changed. The entities are staying there frozen and the world doesn't really change as much. I mean, it's not some, and it, it is something not strictly restricted to the gaming world of fiction. Like, for example, when you look up, let's say, like Harry Potter and its, fan, and its fans, they really want to know the, how the entire world organically lives, like what mm -hmm. kind of things happen to this kind of person that only appeared in this part of the book, but people want to hear more about it because ultimately when you approach fiction is that it has to be convincing that the world is a living entity. It's It cannot be that that's, it cannot be a frozen state of something where the author is trying to convey, it's not a piece of, like, it's not a piece of painting, it's something that moves. So what I'm trying to ultimately achieve in this game is by having number one, um, persistent, organically living environment, and number two, by being able to interact with the environment um, in many ways, including freely talking to the NPCs, that you kind of get the grasp of the, the notion that, oh my God, these people, the NPCs are really living in their own thing. So mm -hmm. maybe I have to treat them with the same level of res respect. So that's what I'm trying to achieve. So, yeah, and Gerald said that the changes are clunky or illusionary. Um, yeah, and, you know, me, like, Creston and I play D&D &D with our families, and I, I DM. So I I get the reference that you're talking about with the tabletop gaming where, you know, the, the, the DM can make decisions and the world keeps living in the DM's mind. But when you put that in a computer game, the computer, you know, when you turn the game off it doesn't know to keep going or to think forward to what could be happening to these things outside of the player. Um, and I think this is interesting because there's a lot of games that, that advertise your decisions matter. Like, you know, the, the telltale games and all that stuff, but it only matters as far as what you're directly interacting with. And yeah, your decisions matter, but the NPCs decisions don't matter. Right. And I think I think that's a piece of of immersion that is extremely powerful. And I'm really intrigued that you're doing this, especially that you're doing this in Dragon Ruby. Um, you know, that's that's that level of logic I haven't seen in a lot of the other games that are in the Dragon Ruby community. And that's not to say that that those games aren't awesome and fun, but this is a different a different level of thinking about player immersion, I think, uh, at least for me. And I'm really interested to kind of know um, what things you're having to overcome uh, that that are really kind of, of impeding your ability to progress this idea. Oh, so there are multiple ones, but let me let me make this clear first that the the dragon ruby itself was never a restriction. Mm -hmm. It's actually it actually enables me to do more because I don't have to worry about all the boilerplates. So, and there are there were a number of things, but number one thing that I had to make a big decision was. Um, first of all, um, the part about 
the ability for players to talk to NPCs freely in free conversation with uh, language processing. Um, I was originally going to use an a artificially constructed language for that because English, um, I, I can go on about this for hours, but it's not a really good language for language processing. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not. No. So, and, but um, since it's not a technical demonstration, it's a game for people to enjoy and the having, having to learn a whole new artificial language just to play the game is a big steep learning curve so i ultimately had to come down to okay let's just try to use english and i had to make some compromises on because um first of all uh before i decided to use english and when it was all about the artificial construct of artificial language that i'm going to make um you could actually just freely talk to the npcs in like fully free way because uh, just like chatting in the Discord, but now since I'm trying to use English, it's more of a, a prompt generation. So let's say you want to ask the location of a specific town to an NPC, you have to first 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 you type in a word like inquire, inquire or question, and you can choose that, and then the game will ask you what kind of things you want to ask, and and then you type the word you in and so it, it's kind of like a prompt building that you would do to those famous you know things like ChatGPT. it's i mean you're typing in free sentence there but what you're really doing is a building of prompts for the ai to understand your input so that's the compromise i had to make so mm -hmm. you cannot really make a free player, like 100% free player input, but the output that comes out of the NPCs, it will be organic and genuine. So that's what I'm trying to do. Neat. And are you using, are you building your own AI for that language model or are you using something on the back end like like some kind of API to another service to-, to... Um, Everything I'm trying to do, I'm making everything from scratch because there isn't a library that I tried to, I mean, that really helps me what I'm trying to do. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So yeah. And I can see why English would be really tough for that because it's, it's almost like English isn't its own language. It's an amalgam of a lot of different languages and, and language structures. So it's, I've heard that it's really hard for non-English speakers to learn English as a second language because of all the the strangeness of the English language and its structures. Is is there a language that would make it easier? Like if you choose chose another language? Oh yeah, to make it like which um, language would you think would be easiest to you to do? Before answering that, I want to make a note about why English is not a particularly good language for language processing is that because uh, uh, linguistically, English falls into the category that is called isolating language, which means that the meaning of the word in a context of a sentence really depends on what order you put the words on. So it really depends on relational with other words in the other words in the sentence, but that's not necessarily not the languages. And one of the languages that is that will be really easy to language process is actually Japanese because number one, um, 
they use the, the those kanji special characters. So, first, so you don't have a case in Japanese where one word could mean another thing, like uh, because it's always one word, one meaning. So that's really easy to filter out those exceptions. And number two is um in Japanese there is no space between words, so it makes one one sentence is just one thing, so it's really easy to parse. Mm. And number three is that English really depends on the context of of the situation that you're talking in to grasp the mood and tone of the sentence. So let's say you want to let's say that there is like let's make a example um. Let's say the word um, you want to order someone to do something you say in English, do it, but with strong emphasis on the actual voice of it, like do it with exclamation mark. But you cannot necessarily, but if you isolate those two words into pure textual form, like let's just say do and it, you, you have no idea if it's one, if the speaker is in order form or like condescending form or whatever. But in Japanese, you actually mutate the word into order form, polite form, impolite form, whatever form you want. So that makes the parsing and processing of the language really easy in Japanese. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And I, I've heard kind of too that, like, my understanding of uh, Chinese language, like Mandarin and stuff, is that they there's kind of the same issue there because the same word can have vastly different meanings just depending on the inflection that they use with their oh, voice. Oh, yeah. The yeah, the voice tone. Yeah. So, and and I'm, I don't really know much about how the Korean language works in that respect, um, but... It's practically just 99% similar with Japanese. It's like making a comparison between Portuguese and Spanish. Ah, okay. So, so yeah, I mean, I can imagine that that's, that's really difficult to figure out how, how is it coming along um it's okay i mean the real difficulty i'm facing making this game is not the ai part but just getting the uh, rendering structures of a game like let's say having to move the player over different zones and having to render the graphics without bugs or collapse or without clashing the different layers and having to like let's like draw the ground first and the, the grass and then the monsters and animals. Those, those, those kind of things, the necessities of the RPG is what I'm finding actually harder than the actual simulation of the structural the language processing because I come from the background of language, not programming. So mm. I have to go over all the um, hoops, I mean, to jump over all the hoops of actually getting the RPG to work. Interesting. So, so you said you're from a like a language background. What kind of what kind of background is that? Um, language teaching and language acquisition. Interesting. So, all right. So that that sheds a lot of light on why you would want to to do something like that with the AI. And I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that the AI part was easier than uh, the the rendering part because it. It seems like to me the AI part would be really complicated, especially with a language like English. Um, but I guess it's all into in the background and and what you understand and what you've got, uh, what what you've learned. It's actually um, easier when you have a like when you set a fixed limit of scope of what kind of what 
what level of AI you're trying to achieve. Like, let's say it's 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 going to be based on a fictional fantasy world, so you're not going to have a uh, philosophical discussions necessarily philosophical discussions with NPCs on the, on the meaning of life or, or exist, exist, existential crisis. So you really need the basic stuffs. I, I don't know. You haven't had me play your game yet. So, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so the lang the whole language aspect of that is really interesting. And I, I, I'm unaware of any games that I've ever seen played or as far heard as of. No, as far as I know, the two things, the two pillars that I'm trying to achieve in, in the RPG as in the genre, especially in its history of genre, it's the first one. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting. All right, so let's let's shift to the the other pillar, which is the the world kind of exists outside of the player. Yeah, the persistent world. Yeah. Yeah. So why? First of all, I'm kind of interested. Why do you want to tackle both of those things at once? Was it that I want to do this and it kind of leads to the other thing naturally, or I want these two things in my game, so I'm going to tackle them both? Oh, the two things were, I mean, those two things seem necessary in my eyes because put it in, to put it in one sentence, I want the RPG that feels organic. Okay. That's what I want. All right. And so what are, what kind of challenges do you have with, with pillar two of the, the persistent world? Um... One of the things is level design, um, because whenever I say I'm making this kind of game, people automatically assume that I'm using ProcGen, but I'm not, because um, it's a, the, the organic experience in gaming and in many fictions, it's often a curated experience. So um, so let's say the world, the world we are living in, the Earth, it's it's one it, it's a sort of a prop gen too because all the all the physics and the chemistry and biology however this one that we are living in feels special because this is the only iteration of the prop gen of the world that we are living in mm -hmm. so that's why it feels special and I, I i've tried playing a lot of the like uh roguelikes and open world roguelikes where there's the prop gen world and the thing is that it doesn't it didn't feel as special because I mean let's say um I was walking so in this one game I was walking down this road with this dirt and I came up to this river and the river's there for the sake of river thing river being there is natural to the project generation, not necessarily that there was some context or um, like special meaning to it. And in, in the project world generation, very often the player has to find one's own meaning and fun. So you have to think, you have to think with your brain and having to come up with your own story is like, let's say in Dwarf Fortress, like mm -hmm. the famous example, you have to find your own fun, but um that makes things harder to get i mean it's one of the reasons why the proc gen roguelike genre is one of the niche genre where 
very few people play. And number two is um, because I'm having many NPCs that go on their own lives, and if I had my game world on ProcGen, I had to I had to make sure that the simulation doesn't fall apart in all of those ProcGen possibilities. So if yeah. I had like let's say one world with one geography and fixed number of towns and villages, I had. I can kind of, you know, monkey patch that monkey patch and have some kind of like a special forces behind. Let's say, uh, like, let's make sure that they have plenty of food, so they, so they, so the NPCs don't all go, all go die from starvation without player interaction. That that could be one problem. So I can make sure that doesn't happen if I have a fixed world. So. <laughs> yeah, I come back to play and my world is dead. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah, so that wouldn't happen. So that's so so for that I have to draw my world with all the all the different zones. I have to draw what trees will be here, what village will be here. So it involves a lot of level design and, and map editing. So that's one of the difficulties I'm facing. Wow. And that's Hmm. That's interesting to me too. That's not where I would have expected you to say I'm, you know, I'm I'm running into this problem. I would have expected oh the problem is in the the AI or the generation of these people or the continuation of what they're doing and and planning that out. It's so it's interesting to me that the thing that sticks out to you as the real sticking point is level design. It is the the, the... The problems I'm really facing is the generic, the general process of making RPG rather than this this simulation. That's yeah, that's really interesting. So for you, I, it wouldn't be for me, but then I'm not very smart. But for you, it seems like the 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 actual front end stuff is the the big stumbling block. Yeah, the front end is more difficult for me because I don't come from programming background necessarily. Uh, Dark Magi says, to be fair, level design is really hard. Yes. Oh, yeah. And can I have like one thing to say about this level design being hard? Because um, you know how often in RPGs, even the open world, even the ones with open world, very often the the... It's kind of linear, but not really linear that players would notice because you don't want the you don't want the game where players have no idea where to go, nowhere, no idea what to do. It so it has so the devs and designers put in some form of linear design, but that is mostly due to because NPCs don't NPCs in those games usually just stay there for frozen waiting for the player to interact with them and so they don't make the changes to the world themselves but in mind the npcs will do it themselves so it cannot be linear because you you want the player to make their own experience of where to go and what to do in the game so that's the point that's the point of organic design so mm -hmm. when doing the level design for this kind of game um it's really you have to make it non-linear so one problem you come up so what so one of the problems you face is you know like in those game like skyrim and 
there's these hills and mountains and without um have you played Skyrim by the way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So in Skyrim, in Skyrim, the mountains, you're you're not supposed to actually go over that mountain, but when you use force with the bug, you can climb the mountain. So from the depth perspective, you could say the mountains were the um blocking the passages of the player so you kind of lead the player go to this direction rather than going all over the mountain but in my game i made i made i made my game so you can in a way so you can actually go to all areas of mountains and hills with simple item letter so kind of like in minecraft you can go to all like all directions so making an open world rpg level design where where the player isn't necessarily blocked to go blocked from going anywhere but still making it interesting is really hard step really hard process for me it has to be interesting and accessible at all angles yeah and i i think it's really interesting to me that you know, if you're on the outside, you play games and you, you don't really think about this stuff deeply and you say, oh, game programming, I'll just get in and program some games and throw some sprites in there and everything's great. But what you're talking about, you know, the, the angle you're coming from it from and what I'm starting to learn from a lot of people is that there is a tremendous amount of psychology that's involved in game design. And yeah, definitely. A lot of them, a lot of them, a ton yeah. of them, yes. And and it's interesting to hear. I'm I'm starting to really um really enjoy hearing the different philosophies people have about game design. And it's also interesting to see, and like Zed says, one of the better programmers I knew came from an anthropology background. It's also exciting to me as a game player to see these different backgrounds getting into game design because it it kind of refreshes these games and you get these very unique games, like things that have natural language processing as part of the game. Um, that's not something you see and you're bringing that because you've got a language background. Oh yeah. So uh, map projections are a pain. Even just for cartographers, map projections are a pain, not to mention game developers. Um. So and, and my game world size is I mean I downscaled it a lot because it, it has to be smaller for the computing power necessary for the players, but it's still one it's still estimate 1.5 million tiles. So Ooh. drawing all of that manually with your hand and imagination is 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 difficult. Oh gosh, I can imagine. And keeping all that, I mean, I'm guessing you're doing something like chunk loading for that that big of a map right some kind of load on demand thing you're not oh you're yeah not... it yeah it's so one zone the player screen is um 20 times 29 so it's 580 tiles on the screen and you only load one zone at a time okay i will send you the discord the, the screenshot of the game to see okay for, cool. so for visual aids so you you will see what i mean so basically, it's a move between different zones. Wait, let me. There we go. Yeah. All right. 
So what you're seeing is what is loaded at the on the player screen at the time. However, there will be background simulation calculations of NPCs persistent world with NPCs living their own life. So the many 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 files are being read and written at the same time you're playing on this part of the screen. And it's and I forgot to mention one thing. It's not just the NPCs, the people like the elves and humans. It is the every single monster and animal in the world behave the same way. So let's say um and I and this is the part I find really important is because um let's um uh, let's say you play RPG game, like generic RPG, and you were trying to get the this town A, and you got attacked by the bandit NPC, and you were not strong enough to fight back, so you run away, and you got away. And later on, you got stronger, and you want to make a cold revenge onto that bandit, but you cannot, because that bandit encounter was a random generation of a chance mm -hmm. of a dice roll in the background. And as soon as you got away from that area, the bandit NPC evaporates into thin air and it's not just the bandit npc like it could have been the wolf and a bear yeah. a monster entity and it disappears into thin air so you cannot really go back and take your revenge as a, a full full immersive experience but in my game you can because all those all those animals and monsters have their own unique idea and they also live their own life in the ecosystem so you can actually go back and take the revenge that is that is really cool so, um, take me through, talk to me a, bit, a little bit about some of the things that, that your NPCs are able to do in your game outside of the player experience. Oh, okay. This, this will be fun. So, um, one of the things is, one of the, I'll try, there are many, many things, but I'll try to pick up the most interesting one is, number one is, um, because it's a it's a simulated world, the, there are quests that are generated. So let's say this one NPC wants um, five skeleton skull items, and usually in RPG, the quest waits there until the protagonist, the player, comes up and say, "I'll do it for you," and you go kill and you go and kill the skeleton monsters, and you acquire the items and come back and you get the reward. One thing that is really um, I mean, it'll be funny is that NPCs can give out quests to other NPCs and they can get sold on their own. Oh, wow. And even the NPC, and even the quest that you get yourself from the, let's say, Adventure Guild, the other NPCs can actually interrupt the quest line by solving it themselves and, and handing... <laughs> And, and 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 handing it to the guild before you do, so the quest can be actually cancelled. So and, my, my quest can get sniped by an NPC. Yes, and I will send you another screenshot of. It, it's actually two screenshots, okay. and this kind of thing, and this this kind of thing that I just said can be actually frustrating experience to many players. So that's why, when you make a. Um, new game, there's this parameters of world simulation where certain things can all can happen at 
rarer rate and more frequent rates. So you don't so you can actually um make your world wow. suit your palette. And that these these 20 um these 24 parameters are the customizable parameters of the world that you will play in. Wow. That is incredible. So as you see in the first one, uh, the other one, the on the second row, the third one is a story interruption. That's the quest interruption oh. <laughs> parameter. So if you so it's so on default, it's set on rare. So the quest you you player get from the NPCs, the other NPCs will not interrupt it as much, so you don't feel bad. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Gerald said that is awesome and adds rush to the quest. Yeah, I think that you know that can add because in a lot of the straight line quest games, a lot of times I will get bored because it's like, okay, I go do this quest, then I come back, then I go do this quest, then I come back, and if I take forever, I take forever. Who cares? There's no pressure. Oh yeah, yeah. But this can add a lot of pressure to yes, definitely. And in, in about the rush, period. about the rush. Um. So there are like three or four adventurers killed in this game, and you're not the only member. There are NPC members, but you're you're actually competing with those NPC adventurers for a quest. So when a new hot quest comes comes out with good reward, um, it's not only you trying to beat that quest. You have to compete with other NPCs, and you, and actually, you will see that all the NPCs come with personality traits tags, like in Ringworld. So. If there are some not, I mean, the adventurers in adventurers in fantasy, not all of them are good faith people. So you will encounter at rare rate one of the MP, one of the comp competing NPC adventurer will try to sabotage your work. I love that. That I, could happen too. I absolutely. Or you can do the same that. to them too. Yeah. Oh, that is that. I really want to play this game. When, when are we going into early access so I can get my hands on it? I I hope it's I hope it's December. You can get early access on Steam. Oh, that is so! I really want um, to play this game. And this is the combat side of the game. And number number two is the um because the NPCs live live their own lives. Um, one of the things that NPCs can do is you know when in these open world RPG games when you walk around the road and you're trying to get this A to B location, there aren't many NPCs on the road. I mean, you can see you can maybe spot a one or two cars, but it's actually there for the sake of placeholder. It's 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 there for the it's it's there for the sake of aesthetics rather than the NPC being there organically. But in this game, when you travel the road and you see an NPC let's say a merchant NPC walking alongside with alongside with you, he or she is there for the sake of his and her own life. And not only because, and not only then, you can actually interact with that NPC with language processing and ask, why are you here? Are you, are you going to this place? Oh, I'm going there too. Can we travel together? And all those kind of things can happen in this game. Wow. So that NPC could just be on on a quest from one town and he's traveling to another town to pick up something for this quest. Yeah, he is in he's in her own life. Need yeah. life need, yeah. Uh wow, yeah, dark 
targeting December for release. That's exciting. I know, right? I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people that in the community that want to get their hands on this game after after seeing this. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm really excited about this. Um, just because of the the a the novelty of it, but b the the attention to detail you've put in here with, uh, you know, the fact that that NPCs could interrupt each other or you could interrupt them, or it's not just linear questing stuff. Um, and it, it gets closer to, like you were saying earlier, the tabletop RPGs where the world actually continues to live. Yeah. Even when you're not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I well, I, go ahead and finish your thought, but I'd kind of be interested in talking about the technical side, how he's doing some of this. No, well, that, that's kind of where I was headed. So go for it. So, I, you know, you think about the, the, you know, Dragon Ruby, it has a tick system and certain things happen during the tick. I mean, it, I'm imagining the computational load of having tracking the behaviors and what's going on with each entity in the game is going to be very computationally intensive. And are you doing like a long pole or on some periodic basis, you're saying, okay, calculate what this entity has done? Or how did you tackle that issue with having to recalculate all these changes that are happening uh -huh. for each entity? How do, how do you tackle that? Or how do you deal with that? Number one is reduce the number of entities that are in the world. So or originally, I was hoping to have NPC population of um, 50,000, but that was too many. So I, I, reduced, I reduced it down to like, you know, those humanoid NPCs population onto something around 500 and 700. So that's more manageable. And number two is abbreviation. So you know, um, abbreviation by that, I mean, you know, if you have played D&D, &D, you know, the Dungeon Master, the Game Master can um, make a Game Master role about what's happening in the background. So let's say um, on screen and there's this NPC walking from here to there, that has to be organically calculated with all the pathfinding algorithm and all the math, but however, for the NPC that is trying to travel from A to B, which is way away from the player position, they can be actually abbreviated down to three or four um, encounter roles in D and D. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the kind of that's so that's the kind of compromise that I'm making. So you don't have to do full organic, full pathfinding calculations in the background all the time. So. So the NPC, so let's say you're on the east coast of the map, and there's this NPC trying to make a trip from A to B on the west side of the map. That NPC isn't going to necessarily make all the trips from A to B on pathfinding organically, but it will just do a couple of dice rolls and see if it encountered any danger. So there was there will be this DD like event table where you roll the dice and see if NPC made the trips in safe or if, if it had some danger. So that will be so that will reduce the CPU load by a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But but it but it's still 
but I will make it, uh, I will try to make it as complex as, so it, it wouldn't make the experience less organic because, um, I mean, in table RPG, you do that a lot you, as, as a DM or GM. So, yeah. as I, so I come from an also background from making my own table RPG in Korea and I ran the team and it, it was one of the most successful ones. So, so I know how to build a good, um, dice roll system in the background that would actually make the things organic. So I'm pretty confident in that too. Awesome. That's fun. Oh man. Wait, well, listen, next time you're in America, we need to hang out cause you, you, you do all the, all the cool things that we do. So, you know, D and D video games, all that stuff. Um, wow, that'd be amazing. yeah, it absolutely would. Nice streamline. You can use a lot of overlap with the group actions. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Th this is, this is really intriguing and I'm really excited to see how this, how this firms up and I'm really excited to, I mean, now I'm, I'm like getting ready to go mark my calendar for a countdown to December <laughs> when I can get Poto's game. Um, do you have a working title for this yet? Um, it's called Cross the World. Um, basically Cross the World and the name comes from the notion that I have this psychological notion, you know, in this time of the world that we're living in, let's say you you go to you want to go to trip to let's say Singapore or like a Brazil, it's not as novelty as the one our ancestors used to have because all the information about the destination is there. So let's say like 150 years ago and 200 years ago, and as an American um, male, you make a trip to Japan on a large sea vessel and you go there and you see Japan in its raw, raw state, it will be shocking to you. Like, like literally mind-blowingly mind -blowingly shocking. But if you do that now, it's not a thing. So we, as a as, as a people living in modern world, we kind of we lost this sense of going on a voyage and going on exploration, and that and this is one of the reasons why I believe there are so many um there there's like this boom of like extreme exploration or extreme voyage like those extreme sports because people um as human beings want to re retrieve that notion of exploration and adventure. And that notion is what what I personally really love love about playing open world game or RPG. But as I said before, um number one, experience can be very linear and curated. And number two, because the environment isn't persistent, I find it frustrating that um it feels like a Disneyland. It doesn't feel authentic. So by the title, Cross the World, I'm trying to get the notion of our ancestors, because I'm living in Korea, I'm a big fan of this, all the tales from the Silk Road era of our history. So, and Crossing the Silk Road was called cross the, Crossing the World in my language in, in the medieval time and all the old times. So that, where I got the inspiration for the title of my game. 
crossing the world. That is, that's really cool. I am, man, we're, we're running up on time here, which is a bummer because I'm really enjoying this. Um, I, I really, I really like. Yeah, we need another episode to talk about these. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I absolutely, yeah. I absolutely am going to want to have you on to follow up on this in in probably a few months because I want to find out where it's going and and uh, how it's coming along. But I really, I really appreciate the 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 background and the and the love of history, linguistics, and. Uh, um sense of adventure that you you're bringing to this um it sounds like i mean honestly i think you and i could sit down in a coffee shop and talk for 5 hours because you have a lot of the same yeah definitely you know language history stuff that i love and and exploration um finding out about new things uh that's one of the reasons i like procgen is is because D- despite the things you're talking about, which is the non-persistent oh, yeah, world, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it gives me that ability to, I can play this thing and I don't know what I'm going to find. I have to explore it all again. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I'm really, really excited about this. Um, I didn't know I was going to be this excited about this, but I am really excited about this. Um, so yeah, I I really Poto, I I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us, especially being on the other side of the world from us. I know it's a it's a time uh, a bit of a time thing, uh, but hopefully we can we can uh do this again in a few months and catch up. Um because I have... Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's good and I mean, these kind of things are like the internal of the game that uh the player won't necessarily see themselves, so I wanted to talk about it somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe get I mean if the chat has any question about so I can answer that too after the stream or during the stream. So and also it'll be it'll be easier for me to explain what kind of game I'm making uh from now on because I can just make provide a link to this video. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Um, well, I, I hope you enjoyed this. I very much did. And I, I thank you for, for spending time with us, uh, chat. Thank you for being here. And, and as always being, um, very lively and fun to talk to, uh, I, I very much appreciate this community. Um, and yeah, I love this community. Yeah, I love yeah. this community too. Fantastic community. Uh, so just a reminder, uh, we will not be back with anything until next Friday. So tomorrow, no coding with Creston. Tuesday, no coding with Chris. Thursday, uh, no Rubber Duck Dev Show. But then next Friday, coding with Creston will be back, and then we'll be back on our regular schedule. So sorry for that, but, you know, real life happens sometimes. <laughs> That's much as I wish we could just all hang out all 24-7, you know, and things. Oh, happen. can I just make one note? Yep, absolutely. About my game? So including all of the features that I just talked, it's not a single player, it's multiplayer, and there can be four people called. Look forward to this. Bang. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, we'll definitely have Poto back on the show sometime to uh elaborate on that because now I'm even more intrigued. Um, so <laughs> wow. Um I, I'm I'm just blown away here. Um so anyway, yeah, 
Magi, apparently it's multiplayer. <laughs> well, you know, the cliffhanger ending, I guess you'll have to come back in a couple of months when we rebook Photo to, you know. Yeah, I have goes. a lot to talk about why I, try, why I need multiplayer, not just in terms of for the sake of multiplayer, but the game design itself, I really need it. So I'll, I will appreciate the chance to talk about it. And we will absolutely give you that chance because I want to hear it. Um, so thanks everybody for being here. If you, if you enjoyed that, please like subscribe, follow. If you're seeing this on Twitch or YouTube, um, that's the biggest thing you can do to help us out. Uh, also tell your friends, bring your friends, tell them how, how fun, how much fun you have here and, and let them come participate as well. That's why we do this live is so that everybody can participate, not just the people with their faces on the screen. Um, so, uh, really enjoyed that. We will see you guys next time. And until then, happy programming. Happy, happy programming. programming.